0: This is my first time to Miami. I've been to Florida a couple of times. Miami, maybe unlike Indianapolis, is known by a lot of people for a lot of things. Maybe they think of locations like South Beach. Maybe they think of celebrities. For me, I think of teams and athletes over the years. People like Dan Marino and Mark Duper and Alonzo Mourning back in the 80s and 90s. Fast forwarding past many others to people like Tua and, and Jimmy Butler today. For many people, they think, Miami? What is Miami? What's it about? That is what it's about. It's about headlines. It's about fame. That's what's going on in Miami. What about this gathering? What about this gathering of people right now, in this room right now? Couple hundred people. No media headlines that I'm aware of. Not a lot of social media buzz. Probably this past week, without looking for it, just because I like to follow sports, I saw a headline about Tua. He's a quarterback for the Dolphins. If you're not a sports fan, Tua's health. I saw a headline about uh, Tyler Hero's new mansion. I didn't see any headlines about Grace Church. How important can a local church really be if it's not making headlines? What about you? I don't know what you're most excited about in life right now, what you value most, what seems most important to you right now. If we took a look at your life, where where do you give your time? Where do you give your attention? Where do you give your resources? That might help us to know what's most important to you. Well, what we care most about is what's most important to God. And so we come to his word And we see, really, all over the New Testament, that what God values most is not usually the things that make the headlines. Maybe it doesn't match up with our personal individual priorities all the time. God cares a lot about local churches like this one. God cares a lot about that. That's where I want to focus our attention this morning. The church is more important than we would naturally think. I think that is sometimes an overlooked theme and really just assumption in the New Testament. You read the New Testament and you have a lot of names. What you don't find is the names of the people that usually make it into the history books. Besides Christ, uh, you don't find the names of all the emperors. You, you hear them referred to as just the emperor. You find the names, though, of individual Christians in Local churches. God gives priority to the people, the relationships, and to the mission of the local church. Now, one mark of Christian maturity is that you will see life more and more from God's perspective. Right? As we start into a new year, say, what would it look like for me to grow in my Christian walk over the coming year? it would look like your values and your priorities coming more and more into alignment with God's. We want to care about what he cares about the most, right? So if God cares so much about the church and even about local churches and the individual members that make up those churches, then when our values line up with God's, when we love what he loves, we will give ourselves more and more to the local church. That is kind of the theme this morning. That is uh, what we find all over the New Testament, that if we are aligning our values and our lives with God's priorities, we will be building our lives around the local church. We will be giving ourselves more and more to the local church. One place that we see this is in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 to 16. The Apostle Paul here is writing... A letter to someone he's mentored in the faith and in the pastoral ministry, Timothy. He's pastoring a, a real local church in Ephesus about 2,000 years ago. He's writing to tell him how to pastor the church. And he's getting pretty specific and really practical. Always theological but very practical. So there in, in chapter 1, he's warning against false teachers He's meditating on the richness of the gospel, what we've received through Christ. Chapter 2, he's telling them they need to pray. And he's talking about different roles that men and women have in the church. And in chapter 3, he's talking about the qualifications for these overseers who are elders and pastors, all the same office. And then on to deacons. And then at the end of chapter 3, kind of in the middle of this letter, which of course didn't have chapters when it was originally written, he gives the reason. For writing this letter. He takes a step back and he reminds them of who they are. Let's read that together. Take your scriptures and read with me. 1 Timothy 3, 14 through 16. It says, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar of and buttress of the truth great indeed we confess is the mystery of godliness he was manifested in the flesh vindicated by the spirit seen by angels proclaimed among the nations believed on in the world taken up in glory Did you catch those descriptions that he uses, that he stacks up to describe who you are as a local church? There in verse 15, sandwiched in the middle, he says it's the church of the living God. That's maybe the most expected and straightforward description. But then he uses a phrase on either side that helps fill in our understanding of what it is to be a church of the living God. He says the church is God's household household. And a church is a pillar and buttress or foundation, depending on your translation, of the truth. Well, that's going to be our outline this morning. First, we're going to take it in reverse order. A pillar of the truth. Grace Church is a pillar of the truth. What does a pillar do? A pillar needs to stand firm. You don't want a pillar that moves. A pillar needs to stand firm. It's there to hold something up. You have a weekly reminder of pillars when you walk into this building. A pillar upholds something. What does it hold up in this case? It holds up the truth. What truth? Not your truth or my truth. God's truth. And specifically the truth of who Jesus Christ is and what he has done. And we see that laid out so clearly there in verse 16. It says, great indeed, we confess is the mystery of godliness. You have a confession of faith here at Grace Church. This is one of the oldest confessions that Christians and churches held to and said together. And it's all about Jesus Christ. So we're going to actually do this out loud together. I've got Uh, The ESV is the translation I've got, but you can read it out loud, and if your wording is slightly different, it will work. Let's read together, starting there with he was manifested. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. This is an old and very concise summary of what the Christian faith is all about. It's about what God has done in Jesus Christ. Let's look briefly at these lines. He was manifested in the flesh. That's what people think about at Christmas time. The eternal God takes on flesh. He doesn't give up any of his godness, but he takes on human flesh. Truly God And truly man. And that doesn't take away his glory. But it does in a sense disguise his glory. So when Jesus, contrary to some of the images we have. Or maybe even the songs that we've sung. When he's in the manger. He's not glowing. According to the scriptures. There's nothing in his life. Physically. That drew people to him. But he was truly God. Who humbly. Covered up his glory. Gave up his majesty for a time. Why did he do that? Well, he did that so that he could live a perfect life. The very life that we all are called to live as those made in God's image. We are to obey God. We're to be in right relationship with this loving God and we've all failed. We've done that. Sometimes some of us in really big bad ways that we're embarrassed to even speak out loud to other people. But all of us in ways, whether big or small, have gone our own way. We've said, I'm going to do my own thing. Thank you very much. You say, well, that doesn't seem so bad, except for the relationship that we are to have with our creator. If you're married to someone and you say, well, man, they're really upset with me. My spouse is so upset with me. You say, well, well I don't understand why they're so upset with me because I don't do anything mean to them. I don't do anything to them at all. What do you mean you don't do anything to them all? I I mean, I never speak an unkind word to them because I never speak to them. I don't even look them in the eye. Why are they upset with me? Well, because based on that relationship, you have a responsibility to your spouse to know them, to love them, to speak with them, to care for them. Our relationship with our creator, with our maker, brings with it responsibilities. And so for, for any of us to say, well, I don't feel like I've done all those bad things like others, If you've done nothing at all toward God, you have greatly wronged your creator by ignoring him, by going your own way, rebelling against him. That's why he, in love, sent his son to be manifested in the flesh. So that he could not only live this perfect life that we have failed to live, but he could die a death that we deserve Dying in the place of sinners like us. All of that is assumed and kind of fits in between the first and second phrases of this confession. The second phrase says, he was vindicated by the Spirit. Jesus was judged guilty by sinful men. He was tried and he was sentenced to an execution, a public shameful execution. And he received that sentence. But ultimately, he was dying not because he committed any crimes, not because he'd done anything wrong to anyone, but because God had sent him to do that. And by raising him from the dead, God showed that Jesus was innocent. He was vindicated. The, The judgment of humans to say he's guilty was shown to be false because the grave couldn't keep him down, even as we've sung about this morning. Jesus is alive, showing that his death was enough. There was nothing more to pay. He paid for the sins of others. And that was completed. He was vindicated by the Spirit when he was raised from the dead. And then he was seen by angels as he ascended to the right hand of the Father. And now he is proclaimed among the nations, places like Ethiopia, Indianapolis, Miami. Jesus Christ, this very day, is proclaimed. And once he's proclaimed, for some, they believe. He is believed on in the world. Here we are in a different continent than where Jesus lived when he was on earth. Here we are almost 2,000 years later. And the name of Jesus Christ is being proclaimed and people are believing. The nations are believing. And then finally, taken up in glory. That could refer to his ascension again. Or maybe it refers to what's coming. His return where he is exalted in even greater glory and his reign is established on all the earth. This is the truth that we need. This is the truth that you need. If you notice, it's not a confession about all the things that you need to do. It's not a confession about who you are. It's a confession about what God has done in Jesus Christ. And the only thing that really directly applies to you is that fifth line. You need to believe. You need to trust on him. You don't need to figure out how to be a better person this year. You don't need to figure out how you can get your life together and make yourself acceptable to God. You don't need to do that, and you can't do that. But Jesus Christ has come, manifested in the flesh, sacrificially crucified for sinners like us, raised again, vindicated by the Father, reigning at the right hand, so that all we need to do is receive and believe. And that's true for you this morning, right now. If you would receive and trust in Jesus... You will be saved. That's the truth that we need to be a pillar of as a church. And we do that when we proclaim the truth of the gospel. Now, maybe it sounds a little bit funny. If you think about it, isn't it odd that we are to be a pillar and foundation of the truth and of the gospel? Isn't the gospel the thing that upholds us? It certainly is. Christ is our foundation. He doesn't need our help and our support. The gospel does not depend on the church in order to be true. It's true whether or not people believe it. But its truth will be known in real time and in real places to real people through the church. Which is why we need local churches. How will people who live in and around this area... People in Miami shores and the surrounding communities, how will they hear the gospel 10 years from now? How will they hear the gospel 50 years or 100 years from now if Christ has not returned? We can't right now speak the gospel to people in the future, can we? That's impossible. We don't live in the future. But by God's grace, we trust they will be reached by the ongoing witness of this church. How will people hear the gospel and see its power? North of here, where there's a spiritual desert, we pray through the establishment of Faith Church. It's the reason that people build schools in a community. They are thinking beyond the moment. We're thinking beyond, I've got some kids and you've got some kids. How can we teach them a few things in the next nine months? We're saying, no, we, we, we need a way to have A group of teachers and administrators who can serve the children now and into the future. Maybe, most often with a school, we need a building. Well, why do you need a building? Because school is all about being in a building? No, but because we need a house for learning. We need a place where this will happen. The church is like this. That's why the church exists. For God's glory as it takes the gospel, the truth, and upholds it for years to come. So the church is there to support the gospel, and we do that first by proclaiming it. Think about gospel offense, and then we'll talk about defense. This is offense, proclaiming the gospel. Jesus right now is alive and reigning at the right hand of the Father. And through his spirit, as he takes the word, he is transforming people. He is winning people to faith. In him, even now. So what's our role in this? Well, for the pastors of Grace Church, for Eric and others, Ronald, for Chris, I want to make the gospel clear week after week. The gospel needs to be clear. What about for you? If you're a member of Grace Church, you're not preaching, what's your role in proclaiming the gospel? Well, certainly you can bring non-Christians to church, But don't leave all the evangelism to the pastors. You can speak the truth about Jesus Christ with the people and the relationships that God has uniquely put in and around your life. You together as a church proclaim the gospel and you you help by making sure that is always the mission of Grace Church, to proclaim the gospel and to make disciples. Don't let other aims distract you. There's no one else who's going to proclaim this message. No other organization that's going to do it for you. It could be tempting maybe to chase after growth or to chase after respectability in the eyes of the culture. But God has given us something as Christians and as churches, something so much more important, so much more valuable. He's given us this message that brings life, abundant life, spiritual, eternal life. Because it brings people to Jesus Christ who is The life. So always be committed, Grace Church, to proclaiming the gospel. And as you proclaim it, also preserve it. A pillar of the truth needs to proclaim the gospel, but also needs to preserve the gospel. Pillars must not move. There are challenges to the gospel, fierce opponents ideologies and worldviews that are in direct and blatant opposition to God's word. And maybe we see that more clearly now than we did five or 10 years ago. We see these dangers and we need to remember it's not time to be fearful. It's not time to surrender. We also need to recognize though that most dangers to the gospel for you as an individual Christian and for you as a church Do not come with horns and pitchforks. False teachers. That's what Paul warns against in chapter 1 and then again in chapter 4. False teachers. Use the Bible. False teachers can be really nice people. Impressive. They don't come and introduce themselves as false teachers. And we... Are most susceptible to the things that do not immediately strike us as evil and dangerous. Paul says there in chapter 4, verse 1, he talks about deceitful spirits. What are you in danger of being deceived by? What, What things that are maybe more subtle or respectable opponents to the gospel might have their way with you? Maybe love of money a love of comfort, a love of self that sometimes can be disguised even as love of family or love of country. Maybe it's that over time, as you have the culture leaning against you, it feels. You feel like, man, do we have to be so rigid? Do we have to be so weird? Maybe there are other ways to God. Maybe we can loosen up about sex. Doesn't God want people to be happy? Isn't that what he's all about? We must not let these ideas come in and lull us to sleep because if they do, we will be susceptible to all kinds of twisting perversions of the gospel. Being a pillar and foundation of the truth means you need to be willing right now ahead of time, you need to be willing to hold views that are deemed unpopular distasteful in the culture there are always these challenges right new ones have arisen recently we feel like this seems to use an overused word unprecedented well maybe that's true in some ways we learned from a church 2,000 years ago having opponents and dangers and threats to the gospel that's not new so what do we do about that as a church how do you preserve the gospel Well, again, we start with the pastors, the elders. We think of Eric being the primary preacher here. The book of Titus says that an elder must hold fast to the faithful message as taught so that he will be able to both encourage with sound teaching and refute those who contradict it. You need pastors, as by God's grace you have, who are committed to, to faithfully teaching the word and refuting all the ways it's contradicted. Once a day, a a small highlight in the life of my young family is uh, when the mail arrives. Kids like to go and find out what has come for us, especially around Christmas time. There's lots of good mail. Now, how the mail gets to us, well, you know, postal process that in its last step involves a mail carrier driving that little truck up to our mailbox and putting in the mail that belongs to us. Now, imagine that you had a mail carrier who you started saying, you know, I think I missed some pieces of mail, and they said, oh, yeah, 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 I have taken the liberties of improving your mail experience. I have withheld certain pieces of mail that seemed boring or unimportant or negative like what, like, like my, my bills that I keep having unpaid? Yeah, yeah, those didn't seem interesting. But, but I have also taken the liberty of spicing up some of the good mail. I've made some edits. I've repackaged some things. But I think you're going to like what you find in the mailbox. What would you say? That's not your job. What are you doing? Your job, your only job, right? you had one job. Your only job is to get the mail that was intended for me and for my family into our possession. That's your only job. A preacher, a pastor's job, is not to come up with ideas, to come up with, with themes that will inspire you and will meet you where you're at. The, the job is to take what God has spoken and deliver it faithfully, to bring to you the truth of God's word, which, by the way, is better and so much glorious than any truth that we might invent. That's the preacher's job. What about the rest of us? Well, you have a responsibility, church, as you choose faithful elders, as you recognize men who are qualified, according to Titus 1 and 1 Timothy 3, to serve in these ways. Lord willing, Eric will not be the last lead preaching pastor of Grace Church. Lord willing, many Will follow, And for as long as this church exists, members will need to call faithful men to shepherd this flock. But your job doesn't end there. It's not just who you identify and who you choose to be elders. You should also expect from them to preach faithfully. And then when they do, encourage them. Encourage them. I say as one pastor uh, who recognizes what a gift you are to your pastors. They've said not a single negative word about you as a church family. But I know as a pastor that it can feel discouraging and sometimes useless or pointless or a waste of time to spend another week, another hour, trying to understand and then craft a sermon based on God's word. And to think about all the things going on in the life of the church and think how might this work out, how it takes labor It's work. Even the most gifted preachers will tell you it's a grind. And it can be tempting to feel like it's not enough. Encourage your pastors when they are faithful to be faithful to the word. Tell them how it's impacting your life. Tell them things that you're learning, that you're struggling with. But even more than words of encouragement, encourage them just by obeying. God's word. That's the most encouraging thing you can do for any faithful preacher of the gospel. Not to try just to think of nice words, but to live it out and to apply it. It will honor the Lord, which is the goal above all, but it will also encourage and bless your leaders. But your role as a pillar and foundation in preserving the gospel even goes further than this. Beyond picking pastors and listening to and obeying God's word. Together, you will preserve and defend the gospel by having clarity about what is the gospel and what is a Christian and then working that out in the life of your church. Here's what I mean. At a week-by-week level, it will look like the way you interact with visitors to the church. You want to love them, not just by being friendly. Start there. Be friendly. But then by working to, to make sure they understand the good news of Jesus Christ. It will look like paying attention to church membership. Church membership? Is that really important? It is. It helps to make sure that you bring in true Christians to be brothers and sisters in Christ, linking arms with you. It it will look like then once people are in the church, accountability and when necessary, even taking steps toward church discipline. What is that all about? It's about a commitment, and expectation, even a requirement to live like real Christians. Not like perfect people. There are none of those. Not to be picky and judgmental about the little imperfections about each other's life. But by recognizing that all of us have need for ongoing growth and repentance. And we expect that of one another. And, and these, these ideas, church membership, church discipline that I know you learn about in your foundations class, you're already living out, they might sometimes feel like mundane or unimportant or maybe even worse, unloving. Certainly uncomfortable at times. But remember, God did not set it up like this just to give us kind of random rules to follow. He gave us these responsibilities to help us preserve a genuine, credible, believable gospel witness because nothing will erode the credibility of the gospel we preach more than people who claim the name of Christ but who don't really know them, don't really know him. And that distinction between those who are inside the church and outside the church through membership, that is not something that's mean or unloving. It's actually a gift from a loving God. We want Christians to know when they, when they face struggle and temptation and doubt, we want them to know they are safe in the love of God and that they've got a family around them who are committed, brothers and sisters, to help them know if their life is on tra- off track. And we want anyone who's not yet a Christian to know that they are not yet safe in Christ. Not to make them feel bad, no, but to help them see their need, the same need that we all have, by nature, we all are far from God to help them see that so that they too will come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. So, Grace Church, be committed to your role as a pillar of the truth, be committed to proclaiming and preserving the gospel. Now, I wanted to start with pillar and then move on to our second point. We are God's family because it's only through the truth of the gospel that we actually become the household. Of God. Grace Church is God's family. All of this starts with God's grace to us. In Christ, our sins are forgiven when we put our faith in Him. But as wonderful as the forgiveness of sins is, that doesn't sum up or exhaust what we have in Christ. We are forgiven. We are given the righteousness of Christ so that when God the Father looks at us, he doesn't just see someone who is morally now neutral, but someone who is righteous. He says, ah, this is my beloved one with whom I'm well pleased. Because when he sees you, he sees Christ. But even more than that, he doesn't just judge us as innocent or judge us as righteous and declare us to be that. He welcomes us into his family. He makes us his very own children by adoption. In Christ, we are then family. If God is our father, then we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And in a local church, we live that out with real people, with real names and faces in Christ. We are family. This isn't something we need to generate or create on our own. We often want unity in the church and we say we should want that. That's what God would have us to have. But we don't need to create that unity. Ephesians says you are to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. God has already made this happen. As he has torn down walls of hostility and he has brought us to Christ, he's brought us to one another. And now we have brothers and sisters from all kinds of different backgrounds, with all kinds of different personalities, all nationalities. He has brought us together in Christ. We don't need to become family. We are family. We just need to act like it. We just need to live that out. There in 1 Timothy chapter 5, listen to how Paul says it there in verse 1. He says, do not uh, rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Our job, your job as a church is to live as family, to build your life around the local church. If you ever feel like you're stuck in your Christian walk, you're like, I don't know what to do day by day as a Christian. Pick up what I like to call the second most important book in your life, next to the Bible, your membership directory. Or if it's on your phone, open that up and look at the people. That is what God has given you. If he's given you a natural family, this is your responsibility. But he's given all Christians a spiritual family. These are the people to pour yourself into. All those one another commands that we read in the New Testament, those aren't just ways to help us know how to love our neighbor. Yes, love our neighbor and try to win your neighbors to Christ. But there's a special responsibility and relationship you have to the people that you live life with as one another in the body of Christ. Those are given to Christians in local churches. So we show that God is our Father by living as family with brothers and sisters. That's not going to happen naturally. That's going to take intentionality. That's going to require you to prioritize church family. Prioritize church family. You have limited time and resources, but you have a special opportunity and responsibility for your fellow members in Christ. It's like if you're a, a, a nurse, Do you care nothing for people who are suffering in another country or another part of the state or even maybe another place in the same hospital you work in? Well, no, you care for them, but you give your time and attention to those who are under your care. Or if you're a teacher, it's not that you don't care for other students, but you have clarity because you have a responsibility for this room and these 30 or so children. It's like as parents, you have a special responsibility for your own children. Our house is Open to a lot of neighborhood kids. And one neighborhood dog will actually show up without any owners, and we let him in because he's a nice dog. And uh, they'll just show up. You never know who's going to be at our house at any given afternoon. Now, some of the kids are very comfortable in our house. And while we try to discourage them reaching into our cupboards, they will ask us regularly, Is it snack time? Are we going to do a snack now? Sometimes we say yes, sometimes we say no. A couple of months ago, one of those, came over, walked from his house to our house, and said, are you guys going to eat anything? Could I have a snack? And we said, not right now, buddy. And he just turned around and went home. (laughs) He wasn't there to play games with his friends. He just came for the food. Now, we send him away knowing, one, he's not a, a starving child. He's got a lot of food in his own cupboard. But also because we see a different responsibility to the children that God has given to our care and other children. If we were to fail to feed our children, we would be neglectful, even at risk in the eyes of the state of losing our children. We recognize a difference in this responsibility. Well, it's like that in the church. In our family, we have prioritized two categories. Beyond our family, two categories. Non-Christians... In our church family. We want to love everybody, but we want to make sure that the most important relationships do not get crowded out. And it's possible to get spread too thin. It's possible to be pulled in too many directions. Focus on what God has put before you. That would include relationships that he's providentially put in your life through your workplace. That certainly would include your natural family, but it also includes your spiritual family value the church as god does by living as the family of god come early stay late come early on sundays and pray with your church family stay late to fellowship reach out during the week to another member and say Hi, how's the week going how can i pray for you right now when life is hard and disappointments come reach out to other members for prayer for support for christian counsel be a pillar be a foundation Be a family. I wonder if you can see how these are not actually two distinct and unrelated ideas. Be a pillar and be a family. Be a pillar of the truth. you got to do the truth thing. And then be God's family. you got to do the family thing. Now, do you see how these fit together? When you live as brothers and sisters who have become family in Christ, you support the gospel that you preach. You help people know that this really is the church of the living God, how will people know that God's really real, that he's alive, that he's not like idols of wood and stone, that he's not like the idols in Miami of money or fame or sex that overpromise and underdeliver? How do you let them know that? They're going to hear that in the gospel you proclaim, and they're going to see that in the gospel family that is the church. So these relationships are not just for your good. It's not about being a selfish Christian. They're good for your brothers and sisters in Christ and they're also an essential part of your witness, your evangelism. Jesus said, love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love, not just people in general, if you love one another, disciples. Many Christians today are uniting around things other than Christ. Politics, education choices. You could could build a church around similarities in age or preferences or personality or socioeconomic level. But what you have in Christ is so much better than that. You have a supernatural community where the one thing that separates this church from any other group of people in or around Miami Shores is that if not for Jesus, you would not be together. That is the one reason you are family. And that's a testimony to God's presence and work. There's no other way to explain a church like this one. So give yourselves to this church family. Pillar family. This is who you are. This is your call as a church. It's also not just a call, but I think, I hope, it's also an encouragement that this is happening among you. Only God, by his spirit and the truth of his word, can create churches, can create a local family of God to be the pillar and foundation of the gospel in that place, to be real spiritual family together. It is impossible apart from him. And by his grace, that has happened and is happening here. The very things that you're called to be and to do as a church, God has already brought this in to being. So be encouraged. And continue to be at work, being the pillar and the family of God. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Church Miami. May God draw you nearer to him through his word. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit gracechurch.miami.